0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Would you stand for the reading of God's word today? We stand to uh, honor God, but also to remind ourselves that this is much more than just an ancient text, but these are the words of life. This is Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied, as with the richest of foods, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals, but the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church.
1: Let's click or open our Bibles to Psalm 63. And have that in readiness as we look at that at our text. If you're visiting with us, uh, you're still in town with family or friends, we're glad you're with us. Uh, We'd like to say, first of all, we're encouraged by the fact that you worship Jesus. And we're very encouraged that you'd worship him with us this morning. Uh, Let me tell you where we've been so you know what we're talking about today. We just completed a six-week series called, What a God?, and we're asking ourselves the question, using biblical imagery, when the waves of life make us stumble or knock us over, what are we going to hold on to when we find out we're not in control, that we can't control all of our circumstances and all, of our, and all that's going on around us? Uh, what are we going to hold on to when times get tough and we actually need an anchor that's greater than we are? And we looked at the characteristics of God for the past six weeks. Last week, we talked about the presence of God, the availability of God, demonstrated in the incarnation at Christmas that God would come to earth and be among us, but the availability of God and what that means to us. What we learned last week was that there is a clarity in knowing that God is with us. There's also a healing that takes place, knowing that the the holy God of the universe would spend time with us to heal us of our sin so that we can be reconciled to him. And lastly, that there is a love that guides us deeper. So what do we do with those six weeks of teaching? What do we do except for just acknowledging that it's true because we saw it in Scripture? What difference does it make in our everyday life? And that's what I hope, intend to do this morning, is to give you courage and encouragement at the same time to continue on going deeper and deeper into who God is and what that and why that matters. Proverbs chapter 9 the 10th proverb in that chapter says these words the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding that we fear God because he is greater he is holy he is perfect and we're not And part of the wisdom of life is understanding that we need God, a relationship with God, connected to God. But it is the beautiful last part of that is the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And this is what our series has been about, knowing who God is and realizing that we can know who God is because he has told us who he is, that the only things we know about God are what he has revealed to us. And as we said last week, if, if you have an understanding or a, a, a view of God that is not found in Scripture, your view is probably wrong. And so, in all of that, we are seeking an understanding that comes from knowing who God has revealed himself to be. And actually, at Christmas time, the incarnation, the coming of God into our world in the form of a tiny baby to be raised to become a man who will walk among us and experience everything we experience is another peace of God that is revealed to us so that we can know him better now I hope this doesn't begin cynical so if it is please dismiss it it's just a, a basic question I want you to toy with but do you feel like I do that our world is trying to dismantle every mystery that confounds us they're trying to explain away big big things that can't be explained away or if they can't explain them away they just dismiss them as if they weren't real the incarnation being one of them that it's a cute story about Jesus, but it probably didn't happen. Yet it did. And as was testified in the baptistry this morning, it is a true story, praise God. And yet our world wants to dismantle mysteries because we feel like we should be well beyond being caught off guard. Yet we know that if we think about it, our, our souls thirst for mystery, Our souls are far more comfortable with not knowing everything and enjoying what we do know than the world allows us to be. So one of the things I want you to do this morning as we gather together in the presence of of the body of Christ and honoring God who's with us in the Holy Spirit each and every moment of our lives is enjoy the mysteries. Don't be threatened by them because I think if you ask your soul a question, it's thirsting for something that this world can't give it. It's hungering for something that just isn't available at the grocery store or in a bottle or in a relationship. We have been created by God to desire a connection with him, a connection with the great one above and beyond. We don't, we don't deserve it, but we still hunger and thirst for it. It's why nature humbles us. It's why we can sit by a, a, a large ocean or lake. It's why we can sit by a, a, a stream through the mountains. It's why we can watch a sunset or a sunrise and just be caught by the immensity of it. And our imaginations explode with the colors. And to think that that happened by a bunch of gases having a party? No, it's a mystery, but it's a beautiful mystery. And have you noticed when you become in awe and aware of how awesome things really are that you find yourself leaning in and not leaning away? What does that teach us? It teaches us what the 63rd Psalm teaches us, that we are drawn deeper into God when we are amazed by God. When the mystery of God cannot be explained in a few words, we want to know more and more. It's an enticement. You see, we have been created by God that the human heart needs intimacy with the infinite that we have been created by God that our hearts and our souls long to know more not everything you have to you have to understand we're never going to know everything about God in this lifetime we're never going to know every reason why God does what God does but we will know at the end of it like we celebrated on Christmas Eve we will know at the end of it even if God did it different than we thought he should have it worked And it worked better than anything we could have imagined. You see, it's not just a good idea that you feed your heart intimacy with the intimate. It is necessary. It's what you were made for. Look at the first verse of the 63rd Psalm. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. King David wrote this psalm. To the best of our understanding, David wrote it. Now, scholarship on that, the research that I do in commentaries and so forth suggested that this psalm was probably written in one of the uh, hardest parts of David's life. And it was either when he was being pursued by King Saul and hiding in the wilderness, away from his family and all of his possessions, or it was when his son Absalom attacked him and tried to overthrow his father's kingdom and he was hiding in the wilderness away from all of his friends and power and comforts. I tend to believe... Based on the research I was able to do, I tend to believe that this is when his son Absalom was attacking because David refers to his kingdom, his, himself as a king. He would not have been a king when Saul was pursuing him. So take that for what it is. Throw it out if it doesn't matter to you. But David's writing this when his world is upside down. When he is being pursued most likely by his son, who after four years of trying to overthrow his father, decides that he's going to establish his own kingdom. He turns the hearts of the people away from the uh, king David toward himself. Absalom had a lot of charisma. Good looks, power, authority, and the people wanted him. And David writes these words, my soul thirsts, my body longs in a dry and weary land. He's away from the sources of the encouragement. He's away from the things that have fed him for so long, and he uses this powerful imagery that his soul thirsts and his body longs and it's a it's a Hebrew expression here. I'm created for this. Something I need is missing. Have you ever felt that? H- have you ever felt that like in your everyday life that it might be going well for you? We always feel it when things aren't going well. But when, when it's going well for you, when you're healthy and your relationships are solid and you, you have a, a purpose every day that you wake up, you feel like you're contributing something and, and you feel good physically and everything, and you don't have everything but you have enough, If you listen to your soul, is it full? Or is it still yearning for something more? Something that's more transcendent than a meal or a bank account or a title or an accomplishment. You see, if you ask your soul the question, your soul might just answer, I want more. What do you want more of? Your soul doesn't want more money or food or drink. Your soul wants more of God. It once connected to something bigger and greater, more awesome, to have a purpose that outlasts even our lifetime. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't have what you physically needed? Like maybe you didn't have food or something to drink or or air? Or maybe it was sleep? Have you ever noticed that when you deny your physicality something, it will yearn for it in such a way that it becomes overwhelming? Overwhelming? I was sharing with Peter and Dan this morning that uh, I read an article, I can't use all the details because I didn't quite understand all of it, but what I understood was powerful was that when someone's going through dehydration and they are actually dying because of a lack of water, their body can find water. In other words, their body knows where to go to. They can sense springs underground and wells and will pursue it. God created you to know what you needed and to go looking for it. Have you ever had that horrible experience? I've had too many times. When you're driving and you're obsessive like me, you just want to get home, you don't want to pay for a motel, you've got a few more hours in you. Have you had that moment where you nod off behind the wheel and you wake in with that, because <gasps> your body said, yeah, you can tell me I'm not tired, I'm done. And you know how your body seeks sleep? It hungers and thirsts for it. When your body's not rested, it will make you rest. And let me ask you a question. If those things are true, and by your, your smiles and your nods, and your overwhelming applause, of course, <laughs> Don't you think your soul's wired the same way? That your soul will not let you, not give it what it really wants? And you may give it alternatives, but ask your soul what it really wants. And I think you're gonna parrot the words that David parrots. I'm thirsty, my body's longing, I ache for a connection to God. And when the things of earth leave us wanting, And they're temporary at best and unsatisfying all the time. When they don't last or bring lasting satisfaction, what do you think it is that's missing? It's an intimate relationship with the transcendent God, the God who's bigger and greater. There's a natural need in every one of us to be connected to him. And I'll just encourage you, maybe you're an unbeliever here this morning and you're here with family and friends and we're glad you're here, you're welcome here. I'll ask you the same question I'm asking those who have been in faith for their entire lifetime. Ask your soul what it really wants and give it a good listening to. And you may find that Jesus is the answer for that one thing it was created for, that it's not getting. So how can the human heart find intimacy with the infinite God? I want this to be very practical this morning. I want to use the 63rd Psalm to explain to us what David offers us in the wisdom that he shares in his journal. So how can we do this? Look at the second verse. David says, I have seen you, God, in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. I've been with you. I experienced you. Can we interpret it that way? You may think because you've made a profession, and I'm not making fun of you, but I'm challenging you, if you think making a profession that you believe in Jesus is the Son of God is a powerful profession, we heard one this morning, and we saw her being symbolically washed clean from her sins by the blood of Jesus and raised to new life, and that's all beautiful. If you think that's the end of the game, I want to awaken you to say, no, that's the starting line, that's not the finish line. That's the beginning steps of faith. That's walking into the depth of God. As C.S. Lewis would say, it's going further up and further in. Don't continue the journey of pursuing God as he's pursued you for one moment in time. There's so much more available to us. He said, I have seen you in the sanctuary. I beheld your power and your glory. One day I'm going to be able to preach on this. It's probably going to be my last Sunday because I've never been able to tell the full story without crying and I don't like doing that in front of a large group of people. Well, let's start over. I don't like doing that, and I'm definitely not going to do it in front of a large group of people and make you suffer through that. But I can share with you the story of three prayers that have been answered in my lifetime. That I will say this. If I ever walk away from my faith, I will be denying the reality of my experience with God in three moments in my life. Three real moments where God answered a prayer that could only have been God. The circumstances were so clear. His fingerprints were on everything. It was was a mystery that could only be solved with one solution. And those three prayers bring me to tears. They're separate in my life over periods of my life. And if I ever wonder if God is real and if God cares and if God engages in our world, I will tell you this. My testimony is I have three answered prayers that will tell you I have to believe. And David, in one of the worst moments of his life, cries out, I've seen it. I've experienced it. My soul has connected to God. I can't forget it. In fact, he says I won't. You see, the conclusions do not necessarily mean that we're experiencing the fullness of God because we've had an experience with God. There is more available to us. God has come into this earth to be among us that we might walk with him, close to him, become one with him. See, listen to your soul. It might tell you what it's hungry for. So, he says, I've received your glory. Have you ever noticed when you read through your Old Testament, talk to Abraham, Noah, Moses, talk to the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, go into moments in time, Jonah, and find people who have had an experience with the glory of God. Not an idea of God, but an actual engaged experience in the presence of God. And do you notice that nothing is ever the same for them? that all the things of the world seem to wash away? All the things we love in this world compared to, to God become lesser and lesser of importance and less satisfying? So ask your heart, ask your soul, what are you hungry for? What are you really thirsting for? What's been missing that you're created for? I wanna show you three things that if I believe if we will focus on these, will awaken our hearts. It's not the cure-all. It'll give us an opportunity to experience further up and further in with God. First of all, seek God for himself. Don't seek God because he's going to give you something. Seek him because he already has. Seek him because of who he is. Look at verse three. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. David says, because I know you. I've experienced you. There's nothing better than you. This is what I want, and my lips will glorify you. Remember, God doesn't tell us to bring him glory because he needs our approval, or he needs our words, or he feels jealous. God asks for us to glorify him because in the glory of God, we find our life, we find our hope, we find our joy, our peace, our patience, our kindness, our self-control. The fruit of the spirit comes from knowing who God is and experiencing that in our everyday lives not duty-bound, but because, as the King James says, your steadfast love is better than life. God, you, you and yourselves. That's why I say, if we begin where David does, by understanding who we're pursuing, that is the journey to draw closer, further up, and further in with God, because God is not a riddle to solve. Now, I banged around this all week with several of my friends who were good with words and good with theology, See, God is not a riddle to solve. He is a being. I want to say he's a person or he's this or he's this. And every time you try to define God, you may get one inch closer. You're still 10,000 miles away from being totally accurate. Are you with me? So give me a little bit grace today. What I want you to know is that God is not a riddle for us to solve. As if we we pick the lock, we can access all his goodness. No, God is a being a person who has made himself available to us. And what we know about God only comes through revelation of God. And when God reveals a part of himself to us, he wants us to love that and hold that. And David said, God, you have revealed yourself to me in my lifetime, and you are greater than even being alive. If I have you, that's enough. His life was broken. His son was trying to have him taken off the throne permanently. His own father What does David pray? He doesn't pray, rescue me from my son, return my power, return my authority, return the comforts of the kingdom. He doesn't say, Lord, give me a safe life. I've earned it. After all I've done for you, this is what I get. No, he doesn't. What he says is, God, just give me your love. Love without a throne, love without power, love without authority. David wasn't begging to be king again. He was simply wanting to be reminded and to receive the love of God. David says, when I have your love, I have life. And life is your gift. And with you, you're all I truly need. So when we say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, it's not what God does for us. We love God himself. Because God wants you to experience all of that with him, not for him. So it's what he's calling us into. David says, God, if you're here, I'll have enough. So the first thing we need to understand is we pursue God And we go deeper up and deeper into who God is, and we experience that with him. Second thing, rejoice in the power of God displayed in you. In verse 1, he says, oh God, you are my God. Reminds me of one of my favorite Rich Mullins songs, where he just reminds, now David is not saying this. David is not making a concession. It's like when my brother used to pin me down. My brother Scott would pin me down, put his knees on my chest, and fake spit in my face or or punch me in the or flick me in the forehead or do whatever he could, and he'd say, tell me I'm the greatest person in the world. That's a concession. That's not a declaration. (laughs) I was simply telling him what he needed to hear so he'd get off me. If he walked away, I would run to my room, lock the door, and tell him I lied, right? (laughs) David is not crying out to God, uncle here. Oh, God, you're my God, enough. He's actually doing the opposite. He's saying, in the midst of my worst moments, you are my God. You are my hope. Look at verse seven and eight. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. David is not hesitant or uninformed about where his life has always been anchored. He says, God, you have always been there. You're my help. You're my shield. You're my protection. I cling to you. David is making a choice here. under the provisions of God. Now, Paul in Romans chapter eight would use similar imagery here. He would say, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you've received the spirit of sonship and by him we can cry, Abba, Father. It's by knowing who God is and reminding ourselves, rejoicing in the power that God has displayed over us. David claims God is his hope. I'm asking you a a serious question. Are you preaching the gospel to yourself every day? And I don't mean, and I, I could get in trouble for this because if it's misunderstood, you're gonna think this is what I'm saying is unimportant. But here's what I want you to do. When you preach the gospel to your own soul, you're asking it the question, what do you want? What are you searching for? What were you created for? And when you do that, you might think that preaching the gospel is I've been saved for my sins. Church. That is a huge part of the gospel. But the gospel in its complexity is that not only were we saved from our sins, it's so we could be restored to the Father, to walk with him every day in the richness of fellowship like the Garden of Eden. It's to be restored into the family that we might call him Father again. It's not just that my wrongs have been made right. It's that I have been brought home. And this is what David is crying out. It's incredibly audacious. It's absolutely true. That seek God for himself, rejoice in what God has done, and discipline your heart to experience God. Discipline your heart to experience him. In verse six, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. I remember you. To my understanding, I'm shown here that the word, the Hebrew word for remember there has the concept of meditation, seek him. When you preach the gospel to yourself, I believe there are four pieces to it. We remember who God is. We remember what God has done. We remember what he promises to do. And I think one of the most crucial parts of the gospel is not only who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do, but it's why he did any of this. Because he loves, because he loves us before we loved him. That love is his motivation, it is who he is. So when we use the word think, or the Hebrew word to meditate, it means to ponder, it means to consider, it means to spend time on it. I know this is gross, it's all you remember of the sermon, but it's a memory device and it works. You know this, right? Meditation is what a cow chews, or what it does with cud. It chews up the grass swallows it, brings it up later, works on it some more, swallows it, I know it's gross, huh? Brings it up later, and it continues to savor and draw everything out of it until it disposes of it. Now, does that give you a better version of what meditation means in scripture than I thought about it once? It actually means I spend time with it. I ponder it, I consider it. I don't just let it go. Yes, reading through the Bible in a year, I know some of us are ready, January 1st is coming. We're going to wipe that thing out this year, right? No, no, we're not. We probably never will. I don't think the Bible is a book to be devoured in 365 days. It takes a lifetime to ponder and meditate and consider and enjoy and savor. I'd encourage you to start that way. How about let's say, let's read the Bible together and let's think about what we're reading. This is what meditation is. It's the presence of the engagement of God found in the Word of God through the Holy Spirit by the promises of God. It's remembering who He is, what He's done, what He will do, and why He's doing any of it. It's spending time savoring that. And here's the good news. The engagement of God, the presence of God is not like a toy put way up on a high shelf until a child is allowed to have it. The presence of God is put at the bottom shelf for everyone to experience, for everyone to enjoy. That's so why the story of the Christ child being brought into this world is not only true, it is meaningfully powerful that it's available to anybody who will choose to trust. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those who find his favor. You see, when we know who we are in the eyes of Almighty God, we can silence the offers of satisfaction this world brings us. We can be reminded of what really matters. Look at verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. David said, knowing who you are and what you've done, rejoicing in you and celebrating you, I'm full. Doesn't it hearken to the words of Jesus when his disciples came back, having brought lunch back, and they said, are you hungry? And he said, no, I've eaten. And they said, well, what food did you have? And he said, the will of my God is my food. My Father fed me. Colossians 3.1 Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. To meditate, set your hearts on things above. Take every thought captive to the presence of who God is, what he's done, what he still promises to do, and why he did any of it. One preacher said about meditation, and I love this, he says, you think about it, and then you think about it, and you think about it. Until the other things your love has grabbed hold of start to become lesser and lesser in God's presence. Take those things that are too important and take them into the presence of God and find out how unimportant they truly are, how unsatisfying they truly are. David says, my soul will cling to you. It's a choice. Isaiah 49, the promise is, they will never hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. Jesus said to a woman at the well in John chapter four, if you ask me to give you a drink, I would give you a drink from a fountain. You'll never thirst again. And she said, sir, give me that to drink. Your soul thirsts, your body aches and longs for more of God. If you quiet the noise of your soul and ask it the question, if you meditate on who God is, you're gonna find out that there's a hunger that only God can, can meet. And God just doesn't say, I'm gonna make you hungry for me and then deny us satisfaction. It says here, no, that he will, if you seek him and his kingdom above all things, all of this will be provided to you. He will quench your thirst. He will fill your hunger. As Jesus in a garden one night, he truly clung to God. When his world was upside down and everyone was after him, it was moments away from being arrested and unlawfully killed, murdered, tortured. Jesus cried out to his father. And knowing what was coming, he still made God his source, made God his refuge. We know that when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He's quoting the Psalm about the moment that in the worst moments of life, we can know with hope God has not abandoned us. And that man took our sins on himself and faced the wrath of God so you and I would never face that wrath by grace and faith in who he is, drawing deeper, going further up and further in. For our heads, would you think about the glory of God and the life it brings? Would you slow the world down and remember what you've already received in Jesus before the world offers you an alternative? For your heart, will you cling to the one whose greater love was made known on a cross and the power was made known three days later when he walked out of the tomb. Murder him? No, they couldn't. He walked free. Death no longer master over him. Death no longer master over us. And for your hands, I have a simple pastoral request this week. Would you create time? Would you carve time? Would you blast the rocks out of your life and make time David says morning and an evening morning and an evening I preach the gospel to myself I remind myself of the presence of God will you create that space early morning, late at night now let me ask you this when are you at your best now if you ask me to study and meditate see she doesn't want to leave my sermon isn't that sad (laughs) she's like mom he's almost done I know between 2 and 3 in the afternoon, I'm worthless. If I try to pray 2 and 3 in the afternoon, we call that a nap. If I lay my head down in bed and I try to pray in bed while I'm laying down, I can't do that. Can you? Don't give God leftovers. Can you carve out a 15-minute time each morning and each evening that you remind yourself who God is? You meditate on what he's done. You meditate on what he promises to do. And do you celebrate why he's doing any of it? And do you cling your soul, bad grammar, to God and receive the real gift of the presence of God? Ask your soul what it hungers and thirsts for and you'll find the answer in Jesus because that's what we're made for. Behind you are two tables that are lit with lamps. Some of our staff and elders and leadership of the church are gonna be going back to that table right now to meet with you. If we can pray with you this week, Or maybe you've already answered the question, what your soul needs. And like the witness we saw today in the baptistry, is today the day that you actually give yourself to the King of Kings and fill your soul with what it was created for? While we sing this next song, feel free to go to the tables or after the service, go to the tables. We'd love to meet you there and journey. We are a family together as a community. Whether you're visiting or not, we are one family in God. And we'd love to journey with you as you pursue Him. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same.
0: For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.